0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to Quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to Scoopy Radio with Brandon Robinson. Scoopy Radio over Heavy Live with Scoopy. I am Brandon Scoopy Robinson, senior writer at Heavy.com. Uh, and host of Heavy Live with Scoopy. Welcome to another edition of the show for all those who are paying attention on Heavy on Lakers and Heavy on Celtics <clears throat> Facebook pages, as well as Periscope on Twitter via uh, my Twitter account at ScoopB, as well as uh, Heavy's YouTube channel. Welcome, everybody. Uh, we got a special guest. I've known you since I was about yay high, and uh, <laughs> good to have you in right now, the one and only Chris Broussard of FS1. What's going on, Chief? i'm
1: great man how are you happy yeah you were about 12 years old i was 12 12 or 14 12 i was 12 12. and i met you in the new jersey nets locker room
0: yes i got you confused with Aaron williams you know it's a lot of light-skinned brothers
1: (laughs) in the locker room other than that he's about a foot taller I can see the resemblance. <laughs>
0: yeah, that, I mean, that was a crazy time when I sit back and I think about it because I feel like there was a lot of talent in that Meadowlands back then. You had Stephen A. Smith when the Sixers would come to town at the Fire. You had Wolves, who was at the Bergen Record at that time. They had you there. They had Fred Kerber. Uh, young, I think My old, guy Sola was on the Knicks beat. You were with him. What was that time like in the 90s between New York and New Jersey, just being a writer? You were there. You were at the Times at the time. What was that time
1: like? I mean, man, it was so much different than today. It was like a a different world, to be honest, covering pro sports back then because you didn't have social media. You didn't have, obviously, Twitter and Instagram. So stories broke once a day. I mean, Mm -hmm. not not that a story broke every day, but in the morning – Was the only time a story really broke i mean unless the radio got something which was rare but generally so if you got a scoop at 5 p.m you know one night well 5 p.m you could write it but if you got a scoop because you're writing your deadlines that night
2: right
1: if you got a scoop at say 1 a.m you would have to uh sit on it or or if you got a scoop all in the morning You'd have to wait till the next day's paper came out, and you just hope that no one else would get the scoop. So, like, you got if you got a scoop at say twelve noon, mm-hmm. you, the the soonest you're gonna be able to get it out would be the next morning. So you would hope that you were the only one that got the scoop and and keep kept it that way. So um, it wasn't you know it was you worked hard. Right. We went to shoot arounds every morning before games, games every night, travel with the teams, of course, like they still do. Right. But it wasn't 24-7, like stuff constantly breaking, constantly looking at what's national, a national reporter right or any of your local beat writers. And so uh, that was different. And then you didn't, you know, there were some national writers like Peter Vesey for the New York Post broke broke a lot of news. But for the most part, you competed. When I was at the New York Times, I competed with the local papers for the most part.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, now, of course, if you write for the Times, the Post, you know, whoever, um, you're competing not, not just with your local writers, but you're competing with Woj and Shams and, Chris Haynes from Yahoo, and you know, like you're really competing with national guys to break stories. So I think as as all consuming as it was back then, I think it's gotta be much more taxing today because it just never ends. It never, it literally never stops. <laughs> it's so
0: like Lamb chop. the song. I'm
1: ending. glad I'll deal with that anymore. Yeah,
0: you, you kind of made that transition to like opinionist or just personality, do you miss any of that news stuff at all?
1: I don't miss the chasing the news because that, I mean, I, I obviously I broke my share of news back in the day, but that was never really my passion. Um, I loved covering sports and writing, you know, stories on the players, feature stories. Like when I wrote for ESPN in the magazine, that was great. Scooter Getting the B spin. Radio. A week straight with a player or three, four days with a player, you're at his home, you're out to eat with him, you're meeting his family and writing stories like that. That was really I was more into that. Obviously, as a beat writer, you broke stories, but also just being at the games and covering the games. And I used to really like writing game stories. I mean, game stories aren't that big of a deal now, but I used to enjoy writing game stories uh, for the newspaper. Um, And then, you know, covering the team at practice every day and, and again, getting scoops and things like that. I mean, you're always looking to break stories in terms of getting information that nobody else has. But now there's really such a focus on transactional um, breaking news. But um, I I like sideline reporting. I miss that. Um, I'm not in the arena nearly as much. You know, because I do my radio show, The Odd Couple, on Fox Sports Radio seven to ten every night, or when I'm if I'm in LA four to seven Pacific. So there's really not enough time during the week to get out to games. Mm-hmm. So I go on weekends. But I'm, I, you know, you, when you're in the arena, you're there and you're just you're seeing everybody and you're talking to executives and players and that's always fun. And so you miss some of that. And there's times, I mean. Like I said, I really liked writing game stories. I, I, I enjoyed trying to write a compelling, captivating story that would draw the reader in. And so on deadline covering the NBA finals and big time playoff games, when you're writing on deadline, sometimes you're writing two stories at once because yeah. the deadline is that quick. You got one lead for what for one team winning and one lead for another team winning if it's close. And so stuff like that, just the adrenaline rush you get from that, that was always cool, man. Um, but overall, I'm definitely happy to have made the transition. What it is really is it's the equivalent, since we're talking about newspapers, mm-hmm. it's the equivalent of going from a beat writer at a newspaper to a columnist mm-hmm. at a newspaper. Where now as a columnist, you just write your opinion and you know you don't have to break the news and things like that. Um, So I'm just doing that on television and radio now.
0: And I think you brought up such a a valid point. I remember um, when I was in undergrad and uh, I took that trip with you to ESPN years ago. And I remember when I wrote that feature story on you, one of the things that that stood out to me uh, was when you were in college, if I'm not mistaken, you played college basketball at Oberlin College, but then you would write game recaps for the school newspaper
1: after. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, <laughs> that was that was uh, yes, I did. At yeah. first, I wrote, um, you know, I was on the basketball team. I think it was a weekly newspaper, mm-hmm. and I wrote a few articles on the team with under my name byline, Chris Broussard, and I'd be in the story. I always had a good game when I wrote the story, you know. <laughs> I, I actually good or not? But. Then eventually, I started using a pen name. I didn't. I think I may have written, gosh, I don't know, it was only maybe about six, no more than five or six articles. I don't think I did like that. Right. That I eventually started using a pen name, um, and then I did my senior year. I wrote a big column, right. uh, under my own name, right. about playing that season and. We had we had a tough season my senior year, so uh, I wrote about the, the the struggles that we had and how tough it was. But it was um yeah, so it was it was not exactly uh, hardcore journalism when you're on the team. Right. <laughs> it Did lend itself to breaking a lot of stories. Yeah, I would imagine that I was broken all types of stuff. Had I wanted to do with my boys and my teammates. But I didn't.
0: <laughs> you do want to pull a D'Angelo Russell.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And I very well could have, believe me. I mean, I'm sure every college team could do that. Got For stuff sure. like that going on. For sure. Tell me something. You, um, you're um,
0: you at FS1. You were at ESPN. Um, you've been all over the place. The Cleveland Plain Dealer, I think you were at before you were at the That was Dealer. my
1: first newspaper. Cleveland Plain Dealer was my first job out of college. Uh, the Akron Beacon Journal was – My second job, that was four years later. And that's where I really got my big break. Started covering professional sports on a regular basis. And then I went from there four years later to the New York Times. And then the New York Times is where I started doing television. Mm -hmm. Even as I was writing for the Times, I would do some ESPN and some local television. And then in 2004, so six years after, I, I was at the Times for six years. Right. We went to ESPN the magazine for in 2004 really as a magazine writer.
0: Right.
1: And then, and they liked me on television so they used me on TV as well. And then eventually it just morphed into more and more and more television until I really wasn't writing very much at all when I left and now at Fox where I've been since 2016, I haven't written a word since I've been at Fox.
0: No, nah, that's that's real. I'm curious to know the early days. You you are a, a a Cleveland Indianapolis hybrid because of your dad's job. You moved around Syracuse as well, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah, I had a lot of. I, I moved around a lot. I lived in five: Baton Rouge, Cincinnati, Indianapolis, Syracuse, Des Moines, Iowa, Cleveland. Six places before I finished high school.
0: What did your dad do for a living that had you had to move around so much?
1: He was a personnel manager for Travelers Insurance Company, so he he would get transferred every few years. I mean, I lived in Indianapolis for four and a half years, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Syracuse for a year and a half, Des Moines, Iowa for two and a half years, and Cleveland for about a year and a half before I went to college.
0: When you watch Cleveland win their championship in 2016, you identify with Cleveland as a Clevelander, how did you feel?
1: I, you know, like I said, I moved to Cleveland when I was 16. So I wasn't really, and obviously the Cavs weren't anything special. They they were starting to get pretty good at Mark Price and Brad Doherty. but I, I was never a, really a Cavs fan. Okay. What I what I what I was happy about, I like LeBron. Mm -hmm. I like him because he's from the area, Uh, Akron, obviously. When I got to know him, I did probably, I must have done maybe six, five or six cover stories on LeBron for ESPN the magazine, so you get to know him a bit doing that. Um, And then what really made me a big LeBron and Cavs fan during those times, that era, was when – when LeBron was – when the Cavaliers won the draft lottery in 2003 to draft LeBron, my parents went out the next day. They live; they still live in Cleveland. And my mm-hmm. parents went out the next day and got season tickets. Wow. And they went – they were season ticket holders throughout his first tenure, seven years in Cleveland.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that gave them really – you know, I, they've been married. It'll be – 55 years in October. So obviously they had a good marriage, but that going to Cavs games, it just really gave them something to do together. And it just enhanced their marriage and they were really into it. And um, so being that, that my mother really loved LeBron. She's met him, got a picture with him. My daughters have met him. Um, And so I was happy for LeBron I was happy for the city of Cleveland, obviously, having never, you know, not won a championship in 52 years. And I covered uh, the Indians when they went to the, for the New York, no, for the Akron Beacon Journal. I was a backup beat writer when they went to the World Series in 95 and had a chance to win it against Atlanta, but lost. So I had been close to them winning that elusive championship. But yeah, so it was, I was... Like I said, it was just a great to cover that finals, to be there for those games. Um, It was a great experience. And I remember (laughs) uh, on the court after the, you know, as they're celebrating winning the championship and everybody's going crazy. Rich Paul, LeBron's agent, is in my ear. You know he the greatest ever now. You know he the GOAT. Jordan couldn't have done that. Jordan, he's he trying to put it in my ear, so I go on TV and say something like that. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, man, it was it was just good uh, to to be to experience that. You know,
0: when was the first time you had heard of LeBron? You watched LeBron, and you knew that because he was in that Slam magazine high school phenom era of where everybody there was you know there was Amari there was. Carmelo, there was there was Lenny Cook. When did you first lay eyes on him and know that? When did you meet him? I first
1: him? heard about him because I probably I may have encountered LeBron when he was a little boy because um, hmm. I used to like I said I worked in Akron, Ohio Akron Beacon Journal, and I would be in the summers I would be at some of the summer tournaments you know just with kids and adults playing ball dunk contests all that and the guy that ran a lot of the ones I went to was in LeBron's inner circle early in his career. He's not Mm -hmm. anymore. And so it's a very good chance I saw LeBron as a nine-year-old, I don't know, you know, playing ball or something like that. But I first heard of him from this guy who was in his inner circle. But it was when, I believe, when LeBron was in seventh or eighth grade, I had just gone to the New York Times. So it would have been around 1990
2: 99. 98. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: 98 or 99. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to this brother on the phone from Akron. And he said, "Uh, he said, yo, man, we got the next one. We mm-hmm. got the next Michael Jordan. And I'm like, I didn't say this because I'm just like, oh, really? Okay. But in my mind, I'm like, yeah, right. Akron, Ohio, going to have the next Michael Jordan, you know, like, because Ohio is a football state. It is. I mean, it's got some good basketball players, but it's not a national hotbed for basketball. It's probably more so now than it maybe ever has been. But, you know, you'd have a few in Northeast Ohio. You might have a few guys go D1 every year, but it wasn't, you know, I was like, Oh yeah, right. Okay. But he's like, yo, his name's LeBron James. And, um, I was familiar as unique as the name LeBron is. There was a kid in, uh, Lorraine. You're not from Ohio, so you wouldn't know, but there's a kid, a really good high school player. Um, who played in college somewhere I can't, but his name was LeBron Gladden up near where I played in Oberlin up in Northeast Ohio. So mm-hmm. I'm familiar with the name LeBron, his brother, Jay- Jamie Gladden, you might remember played at savior, I believe mm-hmm. in Ohio and, and has some notoriety. But so he telling me about LeBron and he's going to be the next one. He's out. I'm like, so I'm grilling him. Like, okay, so, so he, he, he killing cats on the national level that, yeah, man, He like, yo, he like when we go in the AAU tournaments, he he they might not win the game or the tournament every time, but LeBron is killing everybody. He like he the best dude in the country, so I'm like okay, so you know not the best. He was in eighth grade, best eighth grader, best seventh grader, whatever he was, and that was really when it, he was first put on my radar. And then of course you see him in, on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and as you mentioned Slam. And the first time I saw him, though, was when he played on national television at St. V. Um, I think they played Oak Hill. They did against know, Mellow. Mello, though. He was a senior. Oh, so it was the year before that? Well, no, LeBron was a senior. Okay, got you, got you. Okay. And Bill Walton called the game, and it was on ESPN. I think, I don't know if Dick Vitale was there, but that was the first time I saw him, and obviously he looked great. Um, And it was funny because it's funny, man. It's hilarious because I remember guys that I knew, like sons of my – some of my friends in Cleveland, you know, who were in high school, and they like, man, he ain't all that. Like he wasn't – like looking at that game, he wasn't all that. You know, his no looks wasn't really no looks and, you know, stuff like that. And then I remember being in Cleveland, And listening to the radio, sports talk radio, when LeBron was either a junior or a senior, Mm -hmm. and they were playing a national schedule. This show you how some people just don't know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. But I was listening to the radio, and some guys were calling in some brothers, black brothers, you know, in, in Cleveland, and they talking about, Man, you know, I don't know if he all that or not. They don't really play the, the the big schools around here. Like he need let him be in the Lake Erie Conference and see what he do. The Lake Erie League, like play, you know, the inner city Shaw and and and, and schools like that in Cleveland. And I'm thinking this dude is killing Oak Hill Academy. He killing the best teams in the country, and you don't think he could do damage? in the inner city Cleveland league, like, please. So it was funny, man, um, because I guess when you're just local and you don't, you stay there, your perspective is different because I had been all over and I had seen, you know, the best players in the country. And I knew that LeBron was was far better than anybody in Cleveland, <laughs> you know, and, um, but it's just interesting to look back and look, the great thing man is he has I mean the the ch- as great as he was the chances of him living up to what he was touted as which I would say he's actually surpassed it is 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 very slim. We see a lot of guys who are touted you know as great players whether it's 8th grade, 10th grade, 12th grade we just had Shea Cotton from Los Angeles on our radio show. A few a yeah, a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. Everybody thought he was going to be the next. O.J. Mayo, the next. Even if guys make – some guys don't even make it to the NBA. They burn but out. even if they make it, their character, I remember, was – like, I mean, I could go on and on and on. And then you look at a Michael Jordan who wasn't, you know, viewed as the best player in the country – coming out Dwayne Wade, you know, Kobe obviously was hyped, but not like a LeBron. Like, so a lot of the guys that become the best are, you know, bloom blossom a little later, maybe in college or late in high school or even in the pros. And LeBron, for him to be the best in his group, his class, from maybe eighth grade all the way up to now, still the best player in the world. It's pretty incredible, man. It's like, And then all he's done off the court. It's just a great story.
0: I mean, it's a testament to having a good uh, circle around you. You mentioned Rich. Uh, at um, you look at Maverick Carter. You look at some of the other guys that are in his circle. You know, it's, it's been pretty pretty consistent. No controversy, no, no, no struggle, no, you know, we married his – His high school sweetheart, you know, he did what he had to do. And so I think you bring up a valid point, which transitions into my my question about the NBA Finals. Uh, LeBron James played for the Cavs, went to Miami, came back to Cleveland, went to the Lakers. He is a member of the Lakers now, plays against his former team of the Miami Heat against his former coach, Eric Spolstra. What do you see in this series? Five games? Lakers in five? Lakers you
1: say? In five. <laughs> I thought about going seven. Okay. Um, I'll give you some of the reasons. Look, the Heat, obviously they play as hard as anybody. They're tenacious. They're tough. They're well coached. Uh, and I thought, you know what? Bam, out of Bayou. I'm not going to stop Anthony Davis, but, you know, Can guard him out as well as he can be guarded. Jimmy Butler, Jay Crowder, Andre Guadala. Not going to stop LeBron, but probably guard him as well as he can be guarded. Um, The Heat can shoot it. Eric Spolstra obviously knows LeBron well. Maybe can come up. Look, against Milwaukee came up with a defense walling off the paint to stop Giannis or slow him down. Against Boston, he came up with the zone defense that slowed them down. Maybe he could come up with something. But then I said, ready. you know what? No. The Lakers are so far superior talent-wise, mm-hmm. experience-wise, and LeBron is on such a mission. I mean, you we've all heard the stories of the bubble. And it's been clear that LeBron really wasn't that happy in the bubble. He's there for one reason, to win that championship. And now it's right within his grasp. And if they – look, the Miami Heat cannot beat the Lakers in a series. I mean, they can win a game or two. They can't beat the Lakers in a series. The Lakers would have to beat themselves to lose this series. And so I think with all that and then the personal – connection to Miami the tension there was between LeBron and Pat Riley when he left there the fact that someone that they say it was Pat Riley I don't know exactly who it was but that someone told LeBron when he left he was making the biggest mistake of his career like LeBron I would be shocked if he lose if they lose this series. I mean Floored beyond belief because I wouldn't be floored if Miami makes it a tough series, even though I'm saying five, but I would be floored if they won it because it would be one of the biggest upsets in NBA finals history.
0: Riddle me this. Okay, the Lakers are playing the heat in the finals. If LeBron and the Lakers win... Does that debunk the myth that the bubble deserves the an asterisk? And if they had played the Celtics in the finals, would that have mattered as far as the asterisk conversation, that platoon things at the beginning of the bubble?
1: There's no asterisk. There's no asterisk. I don't believe in asterisk. Now, what I do believe in is that, say, say in baseball, they should have vacated the title that the Astros won with the, with the cheating. I right. do believe – not an asterisk, take the title. Strip them of the championship. But outside of that, I don't believe in asterisk because we could come up with something every, almost every every finals, Not maybe not everyone, certainly not everyone, but I could name off the top of my head several finals that we could come up with an asterisk if we wanted to. Obviously, you have the two lockout years, so that's Duncan's first ring in 99, LeBron's first ring in 11. You got the fact that when uh, last year, Kawhi winning it for Toronto, Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson are hurt, you know. Uh, you got Golden State's first title over LeBron. Kyrie and Kevin Love are hurt. Matt, Isaiah Thomas's first title. Magic Johnson played 75 minutes in the whole series because he was hurt. Like, you can go – there, you can always come up – there's typically – maybe every three or four championships, something that is a ride. Um, and when I look at this, the reason, beyond those reasons, I don't, it does like an asterisk is when everyone is not playing by the same rules. Right. So when you play with baseball, they want to put asterisks by some of the PED records, you know, guys that broke records with performance enhancing drugs. Well, because they weren't playing by the same rules. This everybody's in the bubble. The Lakers aren't getting any type of advantage or disadvantage that it, no other team is getting. All the teams are enduring the same exact thing, so it's not what normal, but it's abnormal for everybody. Sure. So if if, if the Lakers were going through something different and they had an advantage over other teams that were in the bubble, or if the Lakers were in a bubble and no one else was, everybody else was at home and doing normal stuff, then you might have an argument for an asterisk. But everybody's under the same circumstances. No, no bubble, no asterisk at all. We'll remember 2020, man. That was a pandemic. Everything is going to have an asterisk, a mental asterisk by for 2020. Politics, everything.
0: Yeah, we got a big debate coming up on Tuesday uh, with President Trump yeah.
1: and, and uh,
0: former Vice President Joe Biden. Um, you made mention of um, just different stages of LeBron. And as I'm talking to you, I'm getting visuals of, of do you play 2K at all?
1: No. Okay. I've never played you... 2K in my life. Stop playing. For real? Never. Okay. I've seen it. You okay. i seen somebody play it, but... Never, you know, last video game I really played intensely at home, video game, huh. was in television. <laughs> no, that <laughs> was in college. Wow, okay. and I'm glad. I'm glad I never got. You know, in college we were into it. I, you know, yeah. we played that a lot. But I'm glad I never got addicted, if you will, sure. to video games. It saved me a ton of money and time.
0: Well, I use this visual. So, <clears> two <throat> K. Okay. You have the active teams, you know, with the like NBA 2K21 is out. So you got the the active rosters of, you know, Lakers with A.D. LeBron. And you got the Heat with Butler and, you know, Duncan Robinson, what have you. So then in the game, you have, like, the legendary teams. So you might have, like, you know, the, the 79 Lakers. You might have, like, the 91 Bulls. And then you also have, like, the 2002-2013, oh, excuse me, 2012-2013 Miami Heat with LeBron and Wade. And you may have, you know, the 2003-2004 Cavs with J.R. Brimmer, LeBron James, the Judas Mm -hmm. Likowskis, and and what have you, Carlos Bruiser. As you're talking about different faces of LeBron, I'm getting those visuals on the game. And I I guess my question is to you, which version of LeBron uh, would have to come out in this series against the Heat? Is it Miami Heat LeBron playing on the Lakers? Is it LeBron in his first stint with the Cavs? Is it LeBron's second stint with the Cavs? Because he looks like Miami Heat LeBron in L.A. as motivated as he's playing, except he has a sidekick in Anthony Davis.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I certainly don't think it's the first Cavs LeBron because obviously he just wasn't mentally ready to lead a team to a championship. And I think he was physically ready. I always felt like he kind of sold himself short by going to Miami mm-hmm. uh, and playing with the other two stars, Bosh and Wade, <clears throat> because he had the ability, I think, to lead that that group of role players in Cleveland to a championship. But maybe he – look, he knew better than me and, and others because you saw his first year in Miami, he wasn't ready. right? And so he learned from that and obviously got much stronger. But um, I, I mean, I think to be honest, he just needs to play like the Lakers LeBron, which as you said, at points, he's bringing out that Miami LeBron in bursts, but I like, like one thing he's doing now, and I think this will help him perhaps win more championships is that as the point guard or when Rondo's at point and he's small forward, he's he's kind of fitting more into the system than just being the system. Hmm. And he's not like, and some of that's because he's willingly letting AD, I don't want to say like AD doesn't deserve it or hadn't earned it, but AD be, is being the leading scorer. So LeBron's playing more of a point guard role. And he's doing a lot of other things. And he's... The system does... Everything doesn't revolve around LeBron. Like it has throughout his career. Everywhere else he's been. And I think that's good. Because he's obviously still dominant. But it allows an Anthony Davis to be dominant. And it allows a, a playoff Rondo to have his moments. And other guys to shine. And so... I think if LeBron plays this way and stays physically, you know, at, near the top of his game, I think he could win more championships like this cuz the natural transition would be AD becomes kind of that number one offensive guy and the best player and LeBron is the second best guy, but he's still a top 5, top 10 player in the world mm-hmm. and he's running the point, getting everybody involved. So Depending on how the Lakers build around him and A.D., I think their championship window will not close for another two or three years.
0: Is it a lock that A.D. returns to the Lakers next season? What was that? Is it a lock that Anthony Davis returns to the Lakers next season?
1: Yes. A lot. a deadlock, deadbolt.
0: If you're the Lakers going into next season, you face a you face a Nuggets team um, who gets better, but they also lose forty four million dollars in cap space with Mason Plumlee and Mills, I believe and You figure out what happens with you know Jeremy Grant, with he commands I think if he opts out fourteen to sixteen million per. You look at the Clippers, um, you know, figuring out what they're gonna do. You look at the Eastern Conference, you, look at, you know, the Nets. You look at um, you know the, the Raptors. Milwaukee the will be better. Toronto, yep. where do the lakers need to improve in the offseason
1: well obviously they're an older team so i think they need to get some youth and fresh legs some shooting obviously um i mean what what particular individual player that is is you know that's tough to say obviously they'd love to get a bradley bill but (laughs) you know that that's probably unlikely but i just think if LeBron can, doesn't lose too much, and he may not lose anything physically, um, and AD with the confidence from having won a championship and having done it on the biggest stage is going to get better. Uh, and they build, you know, you add some shooting, which that's one of their challenges is shooting, although they've been pretty good in the bubble. Then I think they, you know, They're right there because every team's got some flaws. Mm -hmm. Flippers need size. They want a playmaking guard. Um, Milwaukee obviously has their issues. Miami's going to have its issues um, unless they were to get a Giannis, which they're not. Um, So Toronto's, you know, could they lose Fred Van Vliet? But even if they don't, they still have issues. Boston's still figuring it out. Denver. Um, You know, the bigs with the Lakers gave Jokic some problems. I mean, he had his moments and he had his games even. But they, you know, they made a tough one. So the Lakers aren't the perfect team next year. But they will be, if LeBron doesn't lose too much physically, they'll be right there and and perhaps even the favorite going into next season.
0: What went wrong with the Celtics?
1: Um, I think that Miami's tenacity wore them down. I think, and Jimmy Butler said it, Boston's a more talented team, but they're young. Kimba's never been on this stage before. And granted, you could say the same thing about Miami, but, um, you know, Jason Tatum's still a young guy, as great as he is. And, and Jalen Brown. Um, they They're a small team, you know, for the most part. And um, I just think that Miami was tougher, more tenacious, grittier. And Brad Stevens is a good coach. Spoil out coach for me this year.
0: He did. The Nets are they a preseason in the Eastern Conference next year?
1: I don't. They're certainly a contender. Obviously, I don't know if I would say that they're the favorite. Um. Because we saw it with the Clippers. Like, you could look at the Nets supporting cast and say, man, those dudes play hard. They, they're the little engine that could. They're going to fit in perfectly around Durant and Kyrie. You got your two stars. Then you got Joe Harris and and all your and Jared Allen, all your role players that just like to do what they do. They're going to be nice. But a team like with the Clippers dropping in the two stars, Kawhi and Paul George, it changed the dynamic, and they no longer were that little engine that could. They were no longer were Daniel with the slingshot. Yeah. Now they were, you know, the hunted, and it show, their attitude became that, and yeah. they weren't as feisty and te- tenacious as they were before. Now, I think they can get it back next year, but don't, that just shows you some of the challenges. It's easier to add role players than stars because stars change everything. Like, yeah. like, how is Spencer Dinwiddie and Karis LeVert going to fit around Kyrie and uh, KD? Now, one of them you can have maybe come off the bench and he'll that'll be his unit and he can go for his and maybe average, you know, 15, 18 points. But what if one of them starting, is he going to be, and maybe, it depends, like, Golden State had a system where Durant, Clay, Steph could all get there, right? Right, offensively. In Miami, it was mainly LeBron and Wade, and Bosh had to kind of become a glorified role player
2: mm-hmm. with
1: LeBron and Kyrie. Love became a glorified role player, just spot up shooters and get some rebounds. And so now, obviously, Durant, Kyrie played different than LeBron. So, we'll just have to see how it works out. But, you know, and then Kyrie's got to stay healthy. Mm-hmm. He hasn't obviously been able to stay healthy in a while. Um, and I think KD's going to be fine. I think he's going to take off where he left off. But, you know, you just got to wait and see. With the Achilles, does not have any impact? I don't think it will. But that's a question mark. So, I'll be interested. You, what you hope, if you're a Nets fan, is that Steve Nash can do. What Steve Kerr did, and what Steve Kerr did was, as and that and I, Mark Jackson deserves a job. Like I think, I, I think so many jobs he would do a great, great job at. Like Philadelphia is just one. Um, Scoop radio. It's undeniable as good a job as Mark did in Golden State. Steve Kerr took that offense, not the defense so much, the offense to another level. Mm-hmm. He found the perfect offensive system for that group and if steve nash can do that find the perfect offensive system i'm not saying i know exactly what it is but for kd and kyrie and the other guys then you're looking at something special so but I, i certainly at this point i'm not ready to say that they're the team i'm picking to win the east but on paper yeah there's Every reason to pick them to win the East on paper.
0: Switching to the Manhattan Borough uh, after we uh, were in the Brooklyn Borough, you discussed um, you know the Bucks a little earlier. Do you think Chris Paul stays in Oklahoma City, goes to the Knicks, or goes to the Bucks?
1: Well, I don't think he'll stay in Oklahoma City. Obviously, they moving on from Billy or moved on from Billy Donovan, and he's in Chicago, of course. Um, and I just think like, you know, if they can get off as great as Chris was this year, obviously he was a great, good soldier, but you know, he wants to play for championships mm-hmm. and they want to, they know, and he knows they're not a championship team. Yes. So it would be wise to get off of him if you can with that contract. Now to me, and obviously I, I see and hear the Knicks talk. It makes absolutely no sense for him to go to the Knicks on either side, him or them. But if you're the Knicks, I mean, the fans, they're tired. This would just show. Now, look, Leon Rose and Worldwide West and these guys, they have, the fans are willing to give them a shot. They're willing to say, okay. This is a different regime. This is a former agent. This is World Wide West. Maybe they can make it happen. But if you just if you bring in Chris Paul, you are showing that it's the same old situation. How many legends past their prime have the Knicks brought in? And Chris is still playing well, but you know, come on. Penny Hardaway. I mean, Amari was legit when he came and had a good run with the Knicks but still he was you know he wasn't the same because of his knees um Steve Francis Stephon Marbury who again had a nice little run for about a year with the Knicks or season but you get what I'm saying like they they constantly are bringing in guys Jason Kidd mm-hmm. after like five years late too late right and so that's what this, this and and you're not ready. What's Chris gonna do? Make you mediocre? Make you an eighth seed at best? Probably make you just below an eighth seed. And then you, you know, you you mess up your chances of getting a better pick. Like, no, that would be terrible.
2: Yeah.
1: And so I would like to see Chris in Milwaukee. I think that would be a great look. Uh, it would be interesting to see how they play. But I think that would be a good move, uh, Chris Paul in Milwaukee. Certainly better than the Knicks.
0: Chris, tell me something. Um, I had it wrong. You had it wrong. A lot of people had it wrong last summer with Kawhi and the Clippers. What did you hear after the fact?
1: Well, that Kawhi was would have gone to the Lakers uh, if they had not been able to pull off the Paul George trade.
0: Right.
1: I mean, it was like the the Clippers thought that Friday. It happened on a Friday night.
2: Right.
1: Um, the Clippers thought that evening that he was going to the Lakers. They they Doc Rivers had told people he's a Lakers. They thought it was over. And to their credit, and the Kawhi's credit, they were patient enough. Really, to Kawhi's credit, with the patience. Because he didn't want to be be a third wheel if that's what he would have been or, you know, a part of that. Um, but he wanted to be home. And he didn't want to have to, you know, physically be the only guy carrying everything. Mm-hmm. And so he would have gone to the Lakers. And, they, you know, again, credit to everybody involved that they pulled off that deal and were able to get him you know, to the Clippers. But, yeah, he, he would
0: have went to, like... Yeah. yeah. You know. A you, uh, few more questions. You, to me, have had longevity in your career. You've transitioned from, you know, local sports, doing Cleveland stuff, coming to New York with the Times, the Nets, um, and then, you know, ESPN and a mirror other, other things. But I feel like now that the Nets are having a resurgence with, you know, Kyrie and KD, there's this New Jersey-Brooklyn you know, are people fans. I feel like, you know, some people say on Twitter there's no such thing as Brooklyn Nets fans or, you know, people say on Twitter there's no such thing as Clipper fans. What do you remember about the old New Jersey Nets days?
1: Man. I remember being at games where there were fans obviously in the stands and they were still pumping crowd noise.
2: yeah
1: oh i remember man and i and not this is not to throw any shade because i had fun covering the nets and the nets were a big story i mean when i covered the nets they had john calipari was the coach um they had carrie kittles keith keith van horn was gonna be the the next great white american star you know um they had Sam Cassell, then they traded him for Stefan Marbury. So they were a big story. But the Meadowlands, man, it was just. It just was. It was one of the worst game experiences in the league. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying it was horrible. It wasn't like a dungeon or, you know, it was a terrible experience. But it just wasn't up to. Par, with the other arenas, it just wasn't. um I mean, I remember at one point they started bringing; they would have a like a high high school bands in the crowd, and yeah. they would play with tonight night. Nice, but it gave it the feel of a, like you had almost at a high school game,
2: mm-hmm. you
1: know, um, rather than a professional NBA game. And um, it just, it was just, it was just a notch below. And then when they got Jason Kidd, of course, and I was off the beat by then I was on the Knicks. I remember, you know, of course, the Knicks had Latrell Spreewell, Allen Houston. At that point, I think Glenn Rice, Larry Johnson. Like the Knicks were supposed to be the best team in this in the area. Mm-hmm. And it, they weren't a championship team, but you know, they were gonna go. They had Van Gundy as a coach, Jeff. They were gonna get to the second round or you know, make some noise in the East. And the, Knicks, the Nets had come off a bad year with Byron Scott as a coach and Stephon Marbury and all types of issues. And then they traded for Jason Kidd, Marbury for Kidd. And the first preseason game when the Knicks and Nets played each other, it was in Long Island at Nassau Coliseum. And, I, you know, you don't like to put too much into the preseason. But I remember, like, watching that game and I was like, Like, the Nets are running roughshod over the Knicks. Jason Kidd is destroying everybody and throwing alley-oops to Kenyon Martin and Richard Jefferson. Like, it was incredible. And and most of the Knicks beat writers were, "Ah, come with that Nets. This preseason don't matter. I'm thinking in my mind, oh, the Nets are going to be nice. And, of course, they went to the NBA Finals that year and the next year. But remember, when they went to the NBA Finals, they weren't even selling out playoff, playoff game. So that shows you it's unfortunate because I live in Jersey and be great to have a team here. But they needed to go. They needed to go. And I was you mentioned we were talking earlier. I was in Queensbridge last weekend. And, you know, of course, a lot of Knicks fans. And I told him, I was like, look, this is your excuse. You can become a Brooklyn fan. <laughs> you got Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. Who in the world is going to blame you for saying, you know what? I'm rocking with KD and Kyrie right now. It's yeah. still my city. It's still New York. You got the perfect excuse because the Knicks are horrible. And they still were like, nah, nah. I might go to a game or two, but nah, nah, nah. <laughs> you know? So Knicks fans are loyal, but they're long-suffering as well.
0: Do you see Jason Kidd with a head coaching position come next year?
1: Not next year necessarily, but I I do think he'll get another shot. I think he'll get another shot. I think, you know, assuming they win the championship, that'll, you know, that's always looks good. You were on the championship staff. We know, you know, I thought he did a really good job with Giannis. People forget Giannis averaged seven points a game as a rookie. Mm -hmm. And then I think 12 or 14, like, you know, he gradually improved, and that was under Jason Kidd. And the team wasn't bad. They, you know, it, it got bad by the time he, he was. they got rid of him. But, you know, he did a good job with Brooklyn, with the Nets. So, yeah, I think he, he deserves another shot, and I think he'll get it eventually.
0: Does Sam Casella Houston make sense?
1: I don't know what Sam's philosophy is coaching-wise. Scoop b Radio. Um and I say that because, one, I think Sam will be a really good head coach because Sam was a leader, man. Sam was a leader. Mm-hmm. I cover teams where he's on. I love Sam. He's a great guy. He was a leader. All the players loved him. He could instill confidence in guys. I contend, maybe this is putting too much on it, but now obviously Stefan Marbury was a better player than Sam individually. <laughs> But I contend that had the Nets not traded Cassell for, for Marbury and Cassell got hurt early in that season, and the Nets lost like 16, 17 straight games. And they fired so,
0: Calipari and Casey, I remember. Yeah, and
1: that led to Calipari getting fired. But had Cassell stayed healthy, been able and stayed playing with Keith Van Horn at Jason Williams, Kendall Gill. I think Keith Van Horn's career may have been different. Wow. Because remember, Van Horn was viewed, he was going to be a star. The average, what, 19 and 8 as a rookie, then 26.
0: Yeah.
1: Like, he was, he was legit. And Sam believed in Keith. Keith wasn't, some players was like, Keith is a little soft. But he had Jason Williams. Who obviously had the tragedy where he shot the man with the jet. But Jason Williams was his bodyguard. Jason loved him. He was tough. He was his protector. He built Keith, he was gonna protect Keith. And then Cassell built up Keith. Like, that's my man, I believe. That's, you know, like, so Keith was brimming with confidence. And he his guys believed in him. And Marbury came. And I think that's. I think that Marbury from afar, I'm just, this is speculation because it wasn't right from the get go almost with Keith and Steph. But I think that in Minnesota with Kevin Garnett, I think that Steph may have, Stefan may have looked at Van Horn from a distance and said, you know what? He's not Kevin Garnett, but he's, a really good all-star type player like he you know he ain't that far behind I mean he's he's gonna be he's good and I think he got to Brooklyn or New York New Jersey and, and saw that Keith wasn't as good as he thought whether it was because he thought he was soft or whatever he I think again this is my speculation
2: mm-hmm.
1: I think he's felt Man, t- this dude ain't—he er- ain't all that that everybody think he is. Everybody saying he is, and with Steph, it showed in his body language, in you know, just and 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 it became evident he didn't believe in Keith. And I think that sapped some of the the energy, the life out of Keith, knowing his point guard, who Keith really wanted to play with. Keith had said before the trade before he even knew he had a chance to play with Stephon Marbury, that that would be the one point guard he would love to play with. And so I think seeing that this guy don't believe in you, you're not, he doesn't think I'm as good as, you know, as, as he is, or you know, as good as he thought I was or whatever, I think that just, it just took the life out of Keith. Now you can blame Keith for that because you shouldn't let another player take your life like that. Right. But, that's what I think happened. And then, you know, Kid comes in and Keith plays well, but never really became that 20, you know, that, that star that people thought he might be.
0: Are there any teams uh, who have coaching vacancies? You look at the Thunder, you look at the Pelicans.
1: Um, I, I was having trouble hearing you.
0: I said, do you do you look at any of the coaching vacancies? Um, you have the Thunder, you have the Pelicans. Do you look at any of those ki- coaching vacancies and say,
1: Mark Jackson, checks any of those boxes. Mark Jackson checks the boxes. I think he checks the boxes for Philly. Agreed. I certainly don't think Mike D'Antoni checks the box for Philly. Why? Now, and I'm I'm in the minority, I believe, in that I'm one of the rare guys that thinks D'Antoni's a Hall of Fame coach. I mean, I, maybe there's more. I'm sure there's more. But I, I don't know that it's a majority of pundits. I think he clearly is, even though he doesn't have a championship.
0: Right.
1: He's been instrumental in the game, changing. He's had great success. Um he's like a Don modern-day Don Nelson. He actually has, I think, had more success than Don Nelson. But yeah. um, so I think he's a Hall of Famer, but he's a one-trick pony for the most part. You know, he shifted a little in Houston. But he he has his style of play, and if he doesn't have the players to fit that style, he's still going to try to put them into that style. He's not going to adjust to the talent that he has. He's going to make that talent adjust to his style. And he doesn't want a big – he don't want a big man like Joel Embiid. And what's he going to do with a point guard that can't shoot? And so – like Steve Nash, people, I don't know if people are thinking, oh, Ben can be a Steve. Steve Nash was a great shooter. Didn't shoot a ton, but could shoot it 50% and 40 from three. You know, so um, I just think that that would be disastrous. And I think it would kind of lead lend itself to breaking up Embiid and Simmons. And what I say when I look at those two is bring in a coach that either has a track record or convinces you through his interviews and what he shows you and the strength of his personality that he can maximize Simmons and Embiid together. Mm -hmm. And then if it doesn't happen, he can't. They just can't work it out. They can't excel together. Then after next season, move one of them. But I I, I don't think D'Antoni's that guy, so you're going to probably end up moving one of them prematurely. And so I think that would be horrible. I think New Orleans is good for D'Antoni. Now, obviously, Alvin Gentry's a bit of a disciple, plays similar to D'Antoni, but I think D'Antoni would be good in New Orleans. I think Mark Jackson, as I said, Philly. You know, the Thunder, yeah, I mean, Mark with a young team, that's what he did in Golden State. He'd be fine there. But I, I'd, I'd love to see him in Philly and D'Antoni in uh, – or Ty Lu would be good in Philly too, but I actually would – prefer Mark personally. Um, but Ty, you know, um, Ty Luka, New Orleans might be interested, to, interested for him too. Last question.
0: King, it's a movement. It's, re, it's, it's regional, it's national, it's international. For those who do not know about your King movement, tell
1: us more. It is his uh, King is an acronym that stands for knowledge, inspiration, and nurture through God. And it's a men's movement uh, based on Christian teachings and beliefs and principles that really wants to help men become all that God created them to be. And boys. We do a lot of mentoring and things like that. But help men and boys become the men that God created us to be. The husbands, the fathers, the leaders, the citizens, the role models he created us to be. And um, we do a lot of community service. And. We feel we have chapters throughout the country Mm -hmm. and we feel that if we can, as men, become what God created us to be, we can have stronger families, children, communities, uh, be a stronger people as African-Americans. It's it's for all people, but it's primarily African-American and uh, have a stronger nation, you know, and you see that the nation is incredibly divided and polarized at this time. And uh, we Scoop need to B become Radio. stronger as a nation. And so um, we we want to do it through through Christ.
0: Chris, I, I want to thank you so much. I talked about that trip we took to ESPN years ago. One of the things that you share with me that sticks with me to this day is write how you talk, not how you think people want to hear you.
1: Right. Right. I took it and ran with it. Yep, <laughs> yep, that's the A. And you've had success with it, man. You're doing a great job. You know, you're you're a great example for a lot of young people coming out today because, you know, the, the the climate is so different from when I came out of school in 1990, where you would just go to a radio station, a television station, or a newspaper or magazine. And if you didn't get to one of those, you were kind of out of luck. Um, but today, obviously, with social media and all the different Outlets, you can start your own thing. And whether it's a blog, a podcast, whatever it may be. And um, so you're obviously doing a great job of that, man. So you're in you're an example for a lot of people out there. And uh, so I'm proud of you, man, And, and you know, keep up the great work, man.
0: I appreciate you. Those are kind words, and um, I appreciate your prediction. On the finals, you say Lakers in five. What you got? I got Lakers in six.
1: Six is, you know, and, and, and so a lot of times I go six. Six is kind of that, and even when I do it, so I'm not, this is not personal to you. No. I always kind of feel like six is that cop-out pick. <laughs> 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 yeah. so six is easy. Like, okay, I don't think they're really good enough to go seven. Seven's an investment. Seven I'm saying, okay, it kind of could go either way, you know, because – once the seventh game comes, all bets are off. Five, you know, six is kind of, yeah, it's the easy, and I I feel it the same way when I say six too. Um, but it could be six. My here's my thing, and kind of, I mean, I guess heck, five ain't gonna be much of a series for sure. Six game series tend to be uh, anticlimactic. Because t- a lot of times a team might be up three one, and you know it's over, and and then maybe the team comes back and wins game five, but you know it's you know what I mean, like so. Um, but like I said, they, five is pretty anticlimactic for sure. <laughs> you know that too. So yeah. um, it would be great to see. I, I would probably rather see six, because maybe six could be two two, you yeah. know. So that would be more exciting than five. I'll give you that. So hopefully you're right, or maybe we get a seven. I'd love to see LeBron win it, but like I, I had this argument. I know we got to go. I had an argument with a colleague, a debate on the air. He was saying the best team always wins a seven-game series. And I <laughs> said, no, I don't agree. I said, if you want to say the best team always wins – when they win in five or when they win in four, or when they win in six, I can buy that. But once you get to a seventh game, anything can happen. Yeah, but you know what, Chris? You
0: you talked, they said the, the best teams wins the in a seventh game series. Are we talking finals or are we talking playoffs?
1: I'm talking everything. Because if that's the case. I think generally the best team wins, but I'm. it's not like I'm not trying to say equate it to March Madness, but I'm March. saying I think the Clippers are better than them. That's what I was getting ready to say. But you, they you, lost. you know, so my point is, a seventh game, once you get to seven, it's like March Madness. Anything uh, he, can affect that one game. A guy can be off. A guy cannot be feeling good. The pressure, whatever it might be, but when it comes down to one game, it, a team that's not the best can win that one game. yeah, And that's what a seventh game often is.
0: Yeah, and, I, and i've used this analogy often um throughout the playoffs the nuggets are that fourth cup of wine <laughs> everybody laughs what i say but it's true it's <laughs> on you you're having you're socially gathering you're you, you know right so, you right know, having a meal and you're like wait what like <laughs> wow. when i look at the clippers and the nuggets the clippers on paper were the better team but yeah. like, I look at the nuggets and the heat in the same vein. They're grinders.
1: Right. Absolutely.
0: The nuggets were younger. The the heat were targeted grinders because you had Jimmy, but you but Ben Adebayo was a grinder. He kind of was a diamond in the rough. The world is beginning to know who he is. Magic Johnson says his name on Twitter and he's hype. You look at Duncan Robinson, he can shoot Tyler Hero to me. You could you could appreciate this. Tyler Hero.
1: Is the second coming of Bob Sura mixed with Klay Thompson? You know what? That's not bad. I covered Sura when he was in Cleveland. Yeah, he was a rookie. Sura was, yeah, that's interesting, man. I love Bobby. He was a he was a really good guy, and um, he got caught up in that. He kind of he never settled in at point or two. No. So they had to play him. He kind of had to back D up Terrell radio. Brandon at the point. Then he plays him, too. So he kind of never really settled into that one thing. <laughs> but, yeah, by, that's, a, that's not a bad call. That's actually a, that's actually a pretty good call.
0: And I, and I think when you look at Miami, they're grinders. But, they, but I feel like Miami almost got caught up in how everybody was so shocked that Denver was that good last year because people are paying attention to the Lakers, the Clippers the Knicks, the Nets, everything else. I, I feel like Miami was like this secret that nobody wanted to let out until they kicked the Pacers' butt in the first round.
1: Well, and look, they were a fifth seed, too. Yeah. So, you know, you can't really blame people. Um, but they, you know, some people saw it. They they did show some stuff. Credit to Jimmy Butler, man, and Eric Spolster, all yep. those guys. Yes, sir.
0: Brother, I thank you for your time.
1: And... uh we we'll enjoyed it, man. You. This was a lot of fun, brother. Yes, sir. We
0: got to we'll break be. bread soon. You do. I'm gonna call you soon. My we'll man. Alright, with Scoopy signing off. And this is Scoopy Radio saying, "You bring the
2: coffee, and I'll bring the Dunkin." Come on. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.
1: instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash press on and use code presson 25 at checkout for 25% off impress manicure and press on falsies.
2: Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Kleenex ultra soft tissues